Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And the subject or title of today's podcast is Pray That It Might Not Be in Winter. Bill, do you want to say something about our topic today and how you kind of, what got your thinking along apocalyptic lines? Well, you know, it's it's interesting to me. Um, Of course, I'm always thinking apocalyptically. it's one of your strengths as a person. Right. Uh, and also, they haven't quite found a medication for it. So I, I'm just kind of doing that all the time. But one of the, you know, one of the things I, I think, um, I was reading this article in The New Yorker, and uh, the article was written by, I'm going to give due credit, by Catherine Schultz. And it's in the July 20th, 2015 issue of The New Yorker. And it's talking about the uh, next uh, potential um, cataclysmic event. Uh, and we're recording this on July 14th, so it's actually in an issue in the future. So this is really so future. So we have master time travel. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, that's wild. But uh, I didn't even, I see now, I didn't even make uh, that connection. Uh, anyway, it's this idea of um, the situation is in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and it's the Cascadia subduction zone. And without getting into all the geology, which I'm not a geologist anyway, but um, there's a fault that basically runs, you know, several hundred miles um, in the Pacific Northwest, off the coast of the Pacific Northwest, it, uh, from uh, Northern California all the way up to Vancouver Island. And because of the nature of of the pressure up there, uh, the potential for a devastating earthquake uh, of a higher magnitude that could happen on the San Andreas Fault hmm. uh, exists. And and part of what um, is particularly chilling about this, not only that the fact is the earthquakes do, I mean, I, uh, the last major one was around 1700. It's really fascinating. Read the article, how they, how they dated it. Um, but that how woefully unprepared the region is. And, and, and that, to me, is just an example of, of so many different things that we take fairly nonchalant mm-hmm. this time. I mean, as we're sitting here, uh, human technology and intelligence has been able to send a spacecraft uh, to Pluto. Hmm. Uh, that's happening today, and, and it's just fascinating. I mean, this spacecraft the size of a grand piano has traveled three billion miles, hmm. and it, it's going to be sending signals back. Hmm. And that, to me, that just is an amazing accomplishment. I, mean, uh, I just think that's uh, so exciting. Uh, within my lifetime, we've explored our solar system. Yeah. In contrast, regardless of what the reasons are, we won't get into that debate. But climate is warming. Yeah, we've got climate change going on, and we are sitting on a number of these 
uh, ecological and geological time bombs, and we're woefully unprepared um, hmm. for that. And, and to the point that for nearly every school uh, in Seattle is lying where the inevitable tsunami that would follow this earthquake would be, they'd all be inundated. And so uh, even in attempts to try to prepare for it, attempts to try to build schools in a safer place was turned down hmm. uh, because people didn't want to pay more taxes. Hmm. For it to happen, so I just find that I just find this thing about us as human beings just remarkably maddening, if you would, our inability to kind of care for tomorrow. Hmm. Do you think that's something that perennially characterizes the human condition, or do you think there are periods where we steward the present more in light of the future, and in, in, in times and places where we seem almost unable? to steward, steward the present in light of the future. Yeah. I, you know, it, it seems to me that's probably something that's always been a part of um, uh, the human condition. In other words, you know, in terms of it's hard for us to look beyond our own time and place, you know, our own situation, because we, you know, we're kind of bound by time. We only, we only you know, live on this planet for an average of 70 years. And so we, we have our own kind of... Uh, our, our ability to even wrap our mind around the future or the past, it, it's, it's very limited, you know, because we only have our own perspective, and, and that's problematic. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it seems to me in the past there were people that had visions. I mean, there are people that have visions now. I mean, you, do you, can you ever imagine, uh, for instance, someone taking on a project like a cathedral in this day and age hmm. where I, I design it, I begin the funding, and I realize that it's not going to be done until my grandchildren. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard to believe it. That you know, there's lots of reasons for it, but uh, I, I just think that we <laughs> are just not engaged in those kind of projects. Right? And it's not just because of the cost. You think some of it too is that I mean, if you're a middle class American, you live like. Medieval royalty. I mean, you have sure. you, you have you have your own space, your own domicile. Probably, if you get a house, you get a big yard. You can prepare basically what kind of meals you want within reason. You, you're you can always control the temperature of your domicile. You can, that so much of mastering like you know, of survival in life is at such a high level. If you're a American or Western European. Or Canadian, for so many people that maybe big public things don't speak to our soul as much because we have so much in our own private eye now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really interesting idea. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it just reminded me of when Seneca, uh, the famous Stoic philosopher, hmm. decided that he would you know, live more simply to see what it was like to show that he could live um, an ascetic lifestyle. He spent um, a week with just two slaves. In the mouth, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, but you stop and think in terms of exactly the technological benefits that we have, uh, our diets, the fact that, you know, most middle class people can afford to go somewhere exotic yeah. you know, once in a while. So I think all that is, you're right, stuff in previous times, uh, only the very, very elite and very wealthy had an opportunity to get. You know, in this article, she talks about this phenomenon, which I, I love this phrase, of temporal parochialism, hmm. uh, 
you know, it, you know, the planet is four and a half billion years old, but we've only been here 70 years and, yeah. uh, or as, you know, as humans, uh, uh individual 70 years. And as a, as a species, we haven't been here that much and that long. And so, um, it's just hard for us to comprehend these, these things. And it's hard for us to care, care about them. You can understand why maybe, you know, a pioneer or a surf or, um, a Neolithic person was just trying to survive. It's just, in some levels, though, the fact that with all that we know, how little that changes our our behavior or our public policy. So what's the answer to temporal parochialism? How do you, what could mitigate that in us as a people? Yeah, well, you know, let's talk about people's faith. You know, it's always fascinating. You know, you read from Mark's version, Mark 13, of, of Jesus's you know, prophecy of the last day. And Mark, Mark's version of it is very interesting uh, because you have Jesus' uh, prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem in mm-hmm. 78, which happens in 70 AD, uh, right beside his talk of his return. And, and in the middle of all these signs and things, it, it, it's, he says, pray that it doesn't happen in winter. And, mm. and I, there's this kind of... Um, I've always, I've always been struck by the compassion, if you would, the pastoral dimension to that, and also how that's that's really difficult to place in any kind of theological framework. Most end time theologies don't have ways to incorporate that kind of yeah of um, contingency, if you would, you know, but the idea of you know what Jesus himself says, he doesn't know when it's going to happen, so pray that it doesn't happen winter. So there's almost this sense of, you know, you were talking about. It's some levels in Mark's 13, a consummation, if you would, of, of history and, and the destruction that the apocalyptic vision has. But then you have, but just hope it doesn't happen during the winter. Hmm. And, and there's almost this kind of uh, paradoxical effect here where thinking about eternity, or at least thinking about the future judgment, if you would, uh, has an immediate application to care about what might be happening on the ground. You know, in other words, there's this big, there's this big sense of the end of history combined with this, this concern about the individual. Yeah. It's interesting because post-apocalyptic, like the genre is, is probably my favorite for film, for television and literature. I love, I think it's so interesting, but what I think the epoch, the vision of the apocalyptic, reality and it ending the world as we know it one of the reasons i think it is compelling to our imagination is the fear it evokes primarily and then how do you understand yourself in light of that fear right that what what happens if the rug's pulled out and society's not here to protect me and am i going to become a predator will i get eaten by you know like one of these things but it's interesting in the bible it seems like the apocalyptic vision is meant to elicit faith and to see yourself as personally, in light of that faith, not primarily or only in light of the fear. Right. In other words, in some levels, to transcend the fear. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, uh, and it, and, but this is primarily transcend the fear by, by hoping that, you know, and also it says in the passage, and woe to those who are pregnant at that point. I yeah. mean, and, we, you know, if you know any of Josephus, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go, you don't have to use your imagination what happened in Jerusalem to vulnerable people. But it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you know, pray that it doesn't happen. 
Now, what's interesting is there are some things that we don't have to pray about. We could actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people in Seattle, if they were, had been willing to spend a little extra tax money, and it was really a, 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 you know, it would have been something that you could have managed. I forget the exact number. The increase uh, in real estate tax in order to be able mm-hmm. to, to build a school where the kids would be safe. They could have done that. But there's this kind of combination of, well, you know, temporal parochialism. Well, this is just, you know, I'm, I'm just, this is about now. And, and a failure to, to say, gosh, I could sacrifice and, and, and maybe do something to uh, alleviate some suffering on a really bad day. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't say pray that it doesn't happen. He says just pray that it doesn't happen in winter. So there's a sense where this this idea that at a keen sense, you know, a keen sense of time and and the idea that history is heading to something uh, doesn't uh, take away one's sense of obligation to care for the people that might be affected by it. So it, it, it seems to me one of the you know one of the antidotes to this kind of uh, failure to care about the future or, or even properly take care of the now. Uh, whether it be because it costs too much money or scientific skepticism, whatever your reason, uh, you know, why we won't take care of the infrastructure. I mean, you know, we're driving across, you know, millions of people are driving across unsafe bridges yeah. every day in this country, and and uh, and we, we don't have a will to do anything about that. Uh, to me, that that is as big of a spiritual problem as as some of the ones that get more more oppressed because we don't care enough about our neighbor or our children to to make sacrifices for today so that to me there's a sense there's a failure to recognize um that we we aren't the end of all time the end of all existence yeah it's interesting because you it, it seems like at least ideally like one of the bedrock commitments of traditional like civic society or civil society is hey Let's leave it better for the kids. Let's yeah. leave things a little better. Like let's that doesn't seem to be something that seems to have widespread consensus now. Or at least the way we act and steward things seems to betray the fact that we don't really think that's kind of an ethical maxim or responsibility. Right, yeah. That we don't we don't really have a responsibility for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think there's a lot of signs of that um, throughout um, throughout government, and and I think in some levels the church. I mean, I think in terms of look at what your average place of worship that's building a building now, does that uh, or a renovating building. I mean, there's no real sense of we want this to be here a hundred years. From now. Yeah. Now and yeah. I understand the cost. Don't, don't get me wrong. Okay, and I and I'm not advocating that we spend. Um, money that could go to missions on building contemporary cathedrals. But what I am saying is I think that also says something about how much we value what we're actually doing hmm. in our worship. Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe. Yeah, no, I think it's a, no, I think it's a good point. It's an interesting point. And something about I mean, cathedrals, right, are an attempt to build something common that reminds us of the connection of heaven and earth, right? In the biblical tradition, we don't get whisked off creation to some nether realm or we're not going to dwell in the clouds. Heaven comes down and, and remakes reality. And so the cathedrals are this 
share. I mean, your posture even changes when you walk in there. Right. right. Kind of, and I mean, maybe it's maybe it's that we no longer have a kind of cosmic hope. That my friend of mine, Peter Lightheart, wrote this blog post about hymnody and how it took real gusto and faith and courage to sing a mighty fortress is our God. Mm, yeah. In the midst of a, a, a world that could often be so tumultuous and difficult. So, you know, the, there's a change in the kind of hymns that get sung in the late 19th century. They're all walking by sight and not by faith. So it's just, Lord, just hold on for one more day till I can get to the by and by. And it's, it's sort of me and Jesus and this hope that I'll be whisked away. But it's a different kind of... Uh, it's a different kind of hymnody that betrays a different kind of hope, maybe. Well, right, you know, in terms of, um, it's funny how, I mean, when you talk about old bluegrass, okay, uh, how many of, of those old hymns, and I, I mean, I grew up hearing them and, and playing them, um, they're about heaven. You know, yeah. they're about death in my heaven, and that's, at some levels, you know, there was, that was really, that's what got you through the day. In other yeah. words, if you were, you had to have some hope. And, and, and I think, to me, um, and, I, and I see the building of the cathedral as a hopeful. It was a hopeful act. Now, again, it's a totally different, you know, social economic situation. I'm not sure. advocating, but but we've so personalized everything. Yeah, I mean, in some levels, we've personalized our finances. So it's about how can I maximize the amount of money that I keep? You know, not what you know, not the certainly not the Calvinist work ethic. How can I pre- be productive? That I can take care of my family, take care of my community, and and give back. Um, it's how do what do I do so that I can preserve the most amount of wealth for myself? Yeah, you could not imagine any politician today, and this is not too long ago, but say get up and say, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That I can't imagine in, in either major party any candidate saying something like that. It's more like, hey, I've got the way to maximize things for you. Not the other candidate. I mean, I'm I'm going to maximize yeah your own well being personally. Like we, everything exists to serve you. Yeah, you know, one of the things is we 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 look at Pompeii as a living example of decadence <laughs> uh, that was blind to its fate. Uh, we're not blind to the potential fate. We have the science and technology to know that there are certain things that are going to happen that we can't stop. The tragedy is that we we could actually do something about a lot of these impending disasters, okay? Uh, you can't stop the earthquake, but you can, like, Japan is infinitely prepared. They've built infrastructure mm-hmm. where um, because of their warning systems and the way they, you know, uh, have everything integrated, um, the kind of warning that you get literally saves a higher percentage. I mean, probably, you know, 50 to 70% more lives are saved because of all of wow. this. Um, there's nothing like that in place in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it's not because they don't know how to do it. It's because there's not a will to do it. This is where I found Pope Francis's last encyclical compelling, the parts I've read of it, around right. just the responsibility for the earth right. and ecology and, and, and how... And the connection between some of the self-centeredness around our economic choices and our inability to deal with their, their consequences ecologically. And I think that, yeah, there's, I mean, we, 
we know we don't know everything about climate, right? Sure, I'm sure. sure that, a lot, but right. we know about what if we reduce carbon footprints and other things. We know some stuff. I mean, there are some things that we're that we can do that would have a, a long term positive effect on the planet. But we just, yeah, we seem to be. Uh, it's ignorance is bliss, I suppose. Right, or even the fact that we can hear that we're in. Uh, the, the, you know the beginnings of the of the latest mass extinction. Yeah, and so, yeah, and somehow we think, well, that's other, that's other, that's going to affect other species. Yes, I'm sorry that bumblebees and uh, <laughs> certain tree frogs are not going to make the cut. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I feel bad about the dodo bird and uh, and you know the the commercials of the of the polar bears. You know, drowning is problematic, but uh, we somehow don't. Uh, made the connection mass extinctions and somehow uh, we're going to outthink the mass extinction we might but uh, I, it just seems to me just to be a different version of the sin of Genesis 3 hmm. with a quick follow up to the sin of Genesis 4 you know in other words we you know we want to be like God and we are in so many ways okay um, and and yet uh, we failed to to, to to really fully grasp the significance of what goes wrong when one tries to be God. And in Genesis four, you know, I'm, I'm not my brother's keeper. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the trouble in these issues, it's not you know these people are not even being their own self keeper in any yeah. kind of any kind of reason. It's almost like we've gone back to infancy as a species, maybe with an infant. You just you know, they can't, just can't regulate themselves. You know, they can't they can move around and get into trouble, but they can't keep themselves out. Maybe we're, maybe that's the stage we're at sometimes. You know, I, I guess if you wanted to apply the Bible verse to Seattle and Portland, you know, we could pray that that the earthquake doesn't happen at night hmm. or in the summer when everyone's at the beach or while school's in session. Uh, we can we could pray that... Um, that all those circumstances exist, you know, but um, this is one where we could actually do something about it if we planned instead of prayed. Um, but I, I just, um, I'm not optimistic about humanity's ability to, uh, to read the signs of the time. As Jesus said, you can look and you can read weather patterns, uh, but you can't read the signs of the time. I'm, um, I'm amazed that we know a lot more about weather weather and, and climate and geology. Uh, we know a lot more about that now than we did in Jesus' time. seems like we're not able to read those signs as well as the signs of our time. So. <laughs> <laughs> not optimistic, but I hope we're full of hope. Chuck, 
and the friends of Dean Martinez. Midnight, it was bike tires, whacking the potholes. and laughter Yeah. 